Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. This live recording is made possible by the generous donation and support of our subscribers. If you would like to join the growing community of seekers and believers who support MCC podcasts, just go to our website, www.millervillechurch.org, and you can make your online donation anytime. And now, here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC. Good morning. And thank you for your patience two weeks ago with my voice. And thank you for your prayers. It seems to have been rectified. And uh, if you remember, two weeks ago, I asked Della if she would write a poem for what we were talking about in Genesis 15. And Della's breathing a big sigh of relief. She did a wonderful poem, don't you think? I loved it. I loved the ending. It was just like the great I am. Oh, I love that. So anyway, she's breathing a sigh of relief this week because I didn't ask her because the subject's on circumcision. (laughs) Yes, so I do have a streak of kindness in me. Well, let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for your goodness to us. We see it all around us. The evidence of your love for us is ever before us. And yet so many times we still lose sight of that. And we would pray that in our time together, in our worshiping, in our praise to you, as we sing, as we pray, as we give of our tithes, that once again you will fill us with your joy. And as we read your word and think about your word and think about the things that you've said to us, we pray that you would move in our spirits, that we would again turn to you rejoicing and knowing that you truly love us and we are secure in you. So we would just ask that you would open up our, our minds, our hearts to you, and that um, you might speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been um, studying the, the covenants is what we've been looking at, and we were looking at the covenant of God with Abraham two weeks ago, and so we were in Genesis 15, which is where the covenant is given, and uh, God is um, so faithful, and so when... Um, If you recall, when God gave Abraham the covenant, his name was Abram at the time and and still is until today. Today his name gets changed. So um, God gave Abram this covenant. And Abram's part was to be on the sidelines and to watch what was happening because what happened was God himself went through the cut pieces of flesh It was God who made the covenant, and it's God who will keep the covenant. Abraham had no part given to him to keep. His only part was to believe. And so there wasn't anything um, for him to do that could make this covenant happen, but he was invited into it. And, of course, um, he he was quick to believe God. So that's kind of where we left off. That was Genesis 15. Well, one of the major promises that God made to Abraham was that he would give 
Abraham a son. And that son, because Abraham and Sarah have no children, and that son would be how God would bring forth his covenant. So he would make him a great nation. He would give him um, the promised land, and he would give him the seed. And we learn later in scripture, and Abraham understood that the seed was the Savior. That's what was intended. And that the Savior, i.e. Jesus Christ, would come through Abraham's line. But Abraham has to have children for that to happen. And now it's 11 years later. Abraham was 75 years old when God made this promise. That's getting up there for having children anyway. And now it's 11 years later. So now he's 86 and God has not yet given him a child, he and Sarah. And so Sarah comes up with this great idea, which is not a great idea. And uh, she thinks, um, well, we'll fix this. And I'm thinking how many times that happens to us that we think we will fix this. I remember a time at university when I was in finance, and um, finance is a particularly difficult course. If you have taken finance before, I think you would agree with me, unless you were amazing, unlike me, and so um, and unlike most of us. So finance was one of those ones that everybody stressed about. And I had a um, fellow student who was extremely stressed and extremely afraid of the exam that was coming up. And so he made a stupid choice because of his fear. And we all make stupid choices sometimes because of our fear. So his choice this time, the exam's looming, it's the next day, and he decides to, this is in the days before computers when everything was, you know, paper copy, he decides to break into the prof's office and steal the exam. Only you can't get into those offices through the door, but you can, with ceiling tile, go up across the ceiling tile and down if you remove the tiles. You ever done that? Hopefully not at the university. <laughs> well, that's what he did. Only when he got over top of the prof's office, the ceiling gave way, and he fell from the ceiling to the hard tile floor below. And he broke both of his wrists. And um, the next morning, the prof opened up his door to see his office in a mess and blood on the floor. And foolishly, because if that wasn't bad enough, the guy actually showed up for the exam saying, I can't write the exam, I've broken both my wrists. <laughs> so it wasn't too hard to figure out what had happened. And sometimes we do make these stupid mistakes that we actually can't undo. He was never in the class again. He was expelled from the university. And so the repercussions for him were a lot more than a failed exam. Have you ever done something stupid? Well, Abraham and Sarah did. And Sarah came up with the idea, but the scriptures tell us that Abraham decided to believe and listen to Sarah and her dumb idea. And her idea was, 
look, take my handmaid. They do it all the time in the culture around us. And she can be sort of like a wife to you, but I'm still the major wife. And she'll have your child, and that child will be like our child. And so Abram listens to her, and he does that. And the maid's name is Hagar, and sure enough, Hagar does conceive. And she does have a child. And so it seems like their plan worked really well because that child became like, well, for sure, Abram's child, but like any good mother, Hagar couldn't really let go of of her son, who was named Ishmael. And so Hagar and Sarah became like enemies, whereas before, Hagar and Sarah were okay with this, and even friends. I mean, you're not going to suggest that your husband do this with an enemy. And so now their relationship is destroyed, and it creates all kinds of havoc with Abram. And Sarah goes and complains to Abram, and he just takes hands off. Like, this is his boy now. He's happy with that. And he says, well, you do whatever you think is right. You know, I have nothing to do with this. But that's what he said. And so um, Hagar stays. And, you know, she has her own story, and I'm not really telling her story of how God helps her with this problem. But the end result is she stays there in the family. And so Ishmael grows up in this family, and he's now 13 years old. And now Abram's 99 years old. So they've raised this boy to be their child. And in Abram's mind, it's 13 years later since this incident with Hagar. So he's thinking, Ishmael is going to be how God blesses me. This is my son. I mean, it's not Sarah's son, but it's Abram's son. And so he says, God is going to bless me through this son. And Sarah is kind of off to the side. And she and Hagar have never gotten along since then. Well, he's 99 years old. And in his head, God is going to bless him through Ishmael. And sometimes we do some very foolish things, and in our head we've actually fixed it, and the repercussions don't really come out for a while. But God is not going to let Abram off the hook here. And it's not so much that Abram did such a terrible thing. It's about the fact that Abram didn't really believe God. And God is going to say, and he's still not really believing God because he's counting on it being Ishmael. And God is going to do a work for Abram that's going to change his life and really change world history. So when he's, I'm in chapter 17, and uh, I'm going to read just this first little bit um, down to verse 14 about um, the circumcision. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, so God always starts this way by reminding us who he is. And the Lord says to him, I am God Almighty. You might have heard that name for God, El Shaddai or El Shaddai. That's what the name is here. The, the God who is over all things, the universe, he's the great creator, and there is nothing that he is not more powerful over. So he is the great God. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. In other words, live in my presence with integrity. 
and I will establish my covenant between me and you. So God isn't saying um, that I'm going to give you the covenant because he's already done that. He did that almost 25 years ago. And so he's saying, I'm going to now establish it. Now it's going to happen. I'm going to confirm my covenant with you. And I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face. I love that. Do we ever fall on our face before the Lord and just are so um, either enamored with the Lord or distressed and we go before the Lord that we fall on our face before him and Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying as for me behold my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations so he's repeating what he already told Abram before no longer shall your name be called Abram but your name shall be Abraham which is how we know his name that's God's covenant name for Abraham. Do you know in Revelation it tells us that he is going to give us a new name and that's going to be our forever name just like Abram changed to Abraham and we see um, it's understood that God's name Yahweh which has the two um, het sounds in it, the Hebrew sounds of het, is in Abraham. And so God is really giving to Abram his name and so um, your name shall be Abraham and I will make you the father of a multitude of nations and I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations not one nation but nations of you and kings shall come forth from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants wow not just between Abraham and God, but also Abraham's descendants after him, throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you. And there he uses his name Elohim, which is the creator name, and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. And now he gives him some instruction. Remember, God has already given him the covenant. God has said, I will keep the covenant. And yet, for some reason, this 25 years later, God says this, every male among you shall be circumcised. He didn't say it 25 years ago. So the question is, why is he saying this now 25 years later? Like, why is this the thing now? And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So it's not just him, it's not just his family, it's anyone in his, um, under his roof. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. 
But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So we have to ask ourselves the question, why would God put this stipulation on 25 years later? Does that mean the covenant was null and void before? No, it does not. Does that mean that Abraham now has some sort of performance thing to make sure that the covenant is going to be established? No, he does not. But God has something else in mind. So um, then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, her name as well, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, the same H, shall be her name. And I will bless her, and indeed, here it is, I will give you a son by her. By her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall come from her, not Hagar, from her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And he said in his heart, Is a child going to be born to a guy who's 100 years old and my wife? She's 90. How is this even possible? It's actually impossible. And Abraham knows it, and so does Sarah, because it tells us in the New Testament when it's referring back to this account, it says that he looked at himself and he knew this isn't going to happen for my flesh. How, how is God going to do this? And there's a lesson here for us. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And so God is going to do the impossible with Abraham, and Abraham is going to know full well it wasn't his own devising like it was for him and Sarah when they came up with the Hagar idea. It's going to be God's doing in his alone, and everyone is going to know it. So he laughs and he says, How is this going to be possible? Now, I think there's something about Abraham that we don't often think about. One of the things that, as you look at the whole life of Abraham, you realize he's actually a man of fear. He has a lot of things that he fears. He fears famine, so he goes to Egypt. He fears the Pharaoh, so he comes up with this great idea that, you know, Sarah's my wife and you won't kill me now and get her for your wife, um, or that she's my sister, rather, and so you won't kill me because she's my wife. And he has all these things, if you look through, with Abimelech, with other people, um, there's fear. Fear happens to Abraham a lot. And so that's his, that's his thing. And for most of us, it is our thing. If you were to think back to your times when you really knew that you were disobedient, if you were to really dig down deep, there's almost always some sort of fear that's precipitated it. And so Abraham is fearful. And his fear is that God is not going to be able to do what he said he would do for him. Because God promised this 25 years ago. And it still hasn't happened. Eleven years into it, he believes Sarah. He listens to Sarah. He doesn't believe God. He doesn't keep trusting God. And the whole Hagar thing, and he's thinking, well, I've solved that problem. It may not be exactly what I thought God was saying in the beginning, that it would be with Sarah, but, I mean, this is just as good. He is my son. And now God is saying, Abraham, it's not going to be Ishmael. It's going to be from Sarah. And all of a sudden, that old fear comes back. 
And he falls before God and he says, Oh, Lord God, if only Ishmael would live before you, i.e., if only you would consider Ishmael as my son and do the covenant that you have promised through Ishmael, then all would be good. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God says, don't worry about Ishmael. I know you're fearful. I know you think that this can't happen. I know you're 99 years old, almost 100. By the time a child would come, you'd be at least 100. I know all these things. I know Sarah's old long past the years of childbearing. I know that. And I will take care of Ishmael. He will be blessed by me, but he is not going to be the covenant that I do through you. And so God says it will not be Ishmael. It is going to be through my covenant I will establish with, and he gives the name, Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you this season next year. So in other words, in a year's time. That means Sarah's not yet pregnant. This is very important to the account because Abraham at this point is not circumcised. And he finds out from God it's not going to be Ishmael after all. 13 years he's been thinking, well, I guess it's going to be Ishmael. And now all of a sudden his world is getting rocked again. And it's not going to be Ishmael. It's going to be this other son that is going to come from Sarah and him, and he's going to name the son Isaac. Isaac's name means laughter because both Abraham and Sarah laughed when God told them. Just it seemed impossible. And so um, God says, no, it's going to be through Isaac, and it's going to be in a year's time. And so... When God had finished talking with Abraham, God went up from Abraham. And then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all the servants who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day. Hugely important as God had said to him. So Abraham took all of his household, all the men, including Ishmael, and himself at 99 years old, and they all got circumcised that very day, the day that God told him to do this. Well, I've thought about this, and I've thought for quite a few years, and I think I have a thought that maybe this might explain why the circumcision. Now, I know the circumcision because um, I'll explain this part of what God's plan is, but I had a new thought as well. Circumcision is on the flesh of the foreskin, so it's at the place of closest paternity. And so when Ishmael was born, it's to an uncircumcised Abraham. So that means that Ishmael is not born through the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. And that means that Ishmael, although Ishmael is brought into the covenant, but like all the other men, he's not the um, conduit of the covenant. He's brought into the covenant just like all the other men in the household are. So he will receive blessing from God. It's not like Ishmael is, you know, lost to Abraham. 
but he's not going to be the conduit of the covenant. It's going to be another, and it's going to be a year from now. So that means that Sarah's actually not going to conceive for another three months, but she's going to conceive now to a circumcised Abraham. So Abraham is going to be circumcised, and it's going to be after he heals that then Sarah conceives Isaac. So Isaac will come out of this circumcised Abraham, and it means that Isaac is born in the sign of that covenant. So God had a plan that Abraham did not have. And you know what? I think God waited those 25 years so that Everyone says this is impossible. So that God has done the impossible. And none of us are saying, well, you know, they could still have children. Like they are long past being able to have children. And God has done the impossible. What did it take for Abraham to believe that? It took faith. He knew there's no way that I physically can make God's promises work anymore. I tried that with the Hagar thing. I had Ishmael, but God said no. So now there's nothing to do but to rely on God with faith. And so God puts Abraham into that situation where he must have faith. And it says in Hebrews that without faith, it's impossible to please God. You may be in a situation that you cannot fix. There is nothing you can do to change the situation that you are in. That's good, because now you're going to have to have faith. And when we get to the place where we cannot do a Hagar kind of thing, and we can only rely on God in faith, then we are right where God is teaching us about his great love, because God is faithful. And as we have faith, he is faithful to do what he says that he will do. And so um, Abraham, in that very day, circumcises himself and all the other men that are in his under his roof. Okay, so what do we learn about Abraham here that is going to teach us something? I said before, in the very same day, now Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the very same day, Abraham was circumcised and Ishmael, his son. Like The scriptures are driving it home. Ishmael is not coming from a circumcised Abraham. Be clear. He's being circumcised the same day as his father is. And all the men of his household who were born in the house or or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with Abraham. So Abraham believes God. This is not a small thing that he did. And it's not actually a small thing that all these men did. But they did what Abraham told them to do and Abraham did what God told him to do. So obedience is actually the outworking of our faith. How do you know if you believe? Well, do you obey? It's that simple. If we believe somebody, then we will go with what they say to do. If we don't believe them, then we won't. 
So think about yourself. Think about your situation. Are you in a place where you have disobeyed God? Dig a little deeper. What is it that you don't believe about God that caused you to get into that disobedient state? Or maybe you're thinking about something that's going to go against what God tells you to do. Maybe it's a moral issue. Maybe it's a fear issue. Dig a little deeper and find out what is it that I'm not believing about God and go there and say to God, I'm having trouble believing this about you. I'm having trouble believing that you love me. I'm having trouble believing that you will do the impossible for me. Whatever it is, you can actually talk to the Lord about because that's what Abraham did. He went to the Lord and he says, Oh, but Ishmael. And God spent time and told him, Don't worry about Ishmael. I got Ishmael. But I still want you to do this other thing because I am going to do a great work in youth Abraham. And so obedience is faith in action. Faith is actually believing God what he says. And he tells us so much in his word. And that's why he gives us his word so we know what he says. And so believing him is actually what faith is. And so to believe God, he connects it with loving him. He had a loving relationship with Abraham. He loved Abraham. He wasn't trying to get at Abraham. He wasn't trying to prove anything to Abraham on a negative way. He loved Abraham, and he wanted Abraham to know how much he loved him. And likewise, he wanted to teach Abraham how to love him back. He wanted to teach Abraham how to love God. Did you know that you go through trials not so that you can prove anything to God, but to teach you how to love him. Because that's where real joy comes from. It's in knowing he loves me and letting him teach me that I love him. And Abraham's going to have the real test of his faith when he has to put Isaac on the altar, but he's not there yet. He's still in this, this faith growth. And a growing faith is going to be a strong faith. And we see that in this man, Abraham. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus was asked that by the, by the young man. And he, he was, it was, or by the scribes actually, and it was put to him. What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus' answer was this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, everything that's in you. That's the greatest command, is to love God. And so God is teaching Abraham how to do that. We will not learn unless we go through these tests of faith, where we learn to have that faith in God, where we learn that he is trustworthy, that we can believe him, that the things he says about himself are true. And so um, obedience is going to be the outworking of the belief and the love that we have for God. So how do we do that? Look at um, John 14, 15. Jesus is talking, and this is um, right at the end before he's going to um, be arrested and before the cross. 
and he's been talking to um, the disciples, and he's been teaching them, and he's been reminding them of how much he loves them. And he says to them, because this is the night that Jesus is going to be arrested. And look at how Jesus gives comfort to his disciples. He's, he's not saying to them, you give me comfort. He's giving them comfort on his worst night. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And he says all these things, all these promises. But he goes on in verse 15 of uh, John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Like Jesus links our obedience with our love. Do you love the Lord? Look at your life. Are you obedient to him? Is he speaking to you? Are you listening to him? Do you know what he even says? Like, go into his word. You say, well, you know, I don't hear the Lord like Abraham did. Abraham didn't have this. We do. And God tells us so much of what he expects of us, how we are to live. In fact, let's look at some of them. We can uh, see what he says. Um, let's turn to Colossians. And Paul's writing here in Colossians uh, chapter 2. I'd like you to flip around if you have a phone, Bible, or I like my, my solid Bible. This is the solid. And um, I'd like you to do it, to be active and to be looking, because I think God will, like these, this is his word. He's going to speak to you directly from his word. So it's super important that we have scriptures and, um, you know, look into them at least at home. So Colossians 2, and I'm starting um, sort of in the middle of, of Paul talking. There's like I was reading through it and I went, oh, really, I need to read the whole letter of Colossians. And I thought, oh, they don't like that very much. So I'm only going to read a few of the verses, but I would recommend at home read the whole thing. So Colossians 2, verse 11. And in him you were also circumcised. And now Jesus, or now Paul, you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is going to say what the circumcision is. And if you notice, Mike read it out of Ezekiel this morning, which is one of my favorite passages, that God is going to remove the heart of stone, that hard heart, and he's going to put in us a heart of flesh. And now Paul is reiterating that. And in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So not a physical circumcision. In the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So what it's talking about our flesh is, you know, our, our old nature. And before we knew Christ, what you know, our propensity to always be sinning, to not regard God, to not care for him, to not love him. God is removing that flesh out of our heart, and instead um, he's going to replace it. He says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us 
all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. You know that you actually were all under the death penalty unless we receive Christ as our Savior. Otherwise, we're all facing the death penalty. And without him, we're in trouble. The world, the the debt is so great, it's so hostile to us that there actually is a place called hell. I know it's a modern teaching that there isn't. But Jesus says there is. And if he says there is, I'm going with him. Not what somebody who wants to minimize everything. And so... Paul here is saying um, that having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out that certificate of debt or that death penalty consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us. The death penalty is hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. In Roman times they would nail above the cross the list of offenses. And they would nail that to the cross so that everybody going by the crucified person would see what their offense was. And he took our offense and nailed it to his cross. There wasn't anything to accuse him of. He took our penalty and he nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, speaking of of darkness there, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And so we have triumph over the evil one. We have triumph over that death penalty. We have triumph over sin. And we have triumph over our former hatred of God because he has taught us how to love him because he has first loved us. And so that's what he's trying to teach us. In um, Colossians 3, verse 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead. So, you know, does God call us to a standard of living? Absolutely he does. People who say, well, you're saved, and now you can just do whatever you want to do because it doesn't matter because your sins are covered. Here's the standard that we're called to. Did Abraham have something he had to do? He did. Circumcision. And there are other things as well. Did circumcision save him? No. It tells us clearly he was saved back in the covenant. It says that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That was in Genesis 15, 6. And then in 17, chapter 17, he was told, you know, 20, well, 11, 25 years later, get circumcised. And it's the same thing for us. When we first come to Christ, when we first say, Lord, I believe, wash away my sin. You know, put my sin upon that cross. Forgive me for my sin. And we repent. We turn away from that. And we become this new creation, this changed heart. The Holy Spirit is given to us. Then we start walking with him. And it's then that our behaviors start to change. And here are the things that are dead to us. Immorality, impurity, passion. And the idea there is um, inappropriate sexual passion. Evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. And then, you know, he adds to the list in case you think, well, you know, I don't have any of those problems. Well, how about verse 8? Put these aside. 
anger, wrath, malice, slander, abuse of speech. Don't lie to one another. Those are evil practices and instead put on the new self, the new creation. This is something that we have to do. It doesn't save us. Leaving off immorality does not save us. Only Christ saves us. But if we love him, we will obey him. That's what he said. If you love me, you're going to obey my commandments. And I'm telling you, stop doing these things. It's not going to happen instantly, but I am going to be working in you. And we're going to want to. And when we do evil, we will, one, regret, and two, repent. That's all, what we will always do. And we do, like we all do. We still sin. But I don't sin now and shake my fist at God. When I sin now, I regret it right away, and I repent. Sometimes maybe it takes a while, but that's what God is calling us to. And like Jesus, we obey. obey. I just want to turn back to John um, 14, because what Jesus says, <clears throat> this is what he says about his love for the Father. But that the world may know, this is Jesus talking, that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go from here. And he goes to the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he did it, yes, because he loves us. But you know what? He really did it because he loved the Father. That's why he obeyed. And so the question for us is, do you obey? Are there things that you fear? It's okay to be fearful. But then Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe me. And in believing him, he says, you know, I will be with you. I will sustain you. I will care for you. I love you. And as we believe these things, our hearts turn to him and we obey him. So that's our ticket to learn what faith is. When we talk about walking by faith, that's what we mean. That faith is actually believing God and then doing it, obeying him. That is really the indicator that we love him. So obedience, really, I asked, this was the question I asked myself. Why did God give this sign 25 years after the fact to Abraham to do? Didn't save him. What was the point of it? Well, the whole point was God gave him an opportunity to obey, and he obeyed. God's giving you opportunity to obey. It does not save you, but it's the indicator that you love him. And he's saying, I want you to know that you love me. And I'm going to give you opportunity that's going to be hard, but if you obey, then you will know you love me. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, this is such a lesson for Abraham, such a lesson for us to learn what it is to truly love you. And you have connected our obedience to you to be our way of expressing that. Teach us how to do this. Teach us how to walk by faith and not by sight. Teach us about who you are. Teach us the things that you say to us about yourself so that we might truly believe 
And Lord, even our faith, you have told us that we can come to you and ask you for that. So Lord, we pray that you would give us that faith, that kind of faith that really expresses our love for you and help us to know, help us to have that assurance, not just that you love us, for you do. Jesus died for us. Oh Lord, what a great thing that is for us to know. But Lord, teach us how much we love you. We would pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Millerville Community Church is a non-denominational country-style church with a huge heart for God. It is our desire to direct people to the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of all life, hope, and true transformation. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. Coffee and snacks are served. Children's church and child care are available.